so if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you're new to the Bible, uh, we have some in the back. We'd love to give you one if you don't have one, but we're going to be in the New Testament, and we're in uh, the second book, so Matthew and then Mark. That's where we're going to be, Mark chapter 10. Uh, And what we're doing, we're currently in a series called Conversations with Jesus, and This is cool. Like, think about this. We get to hear Jesus speak and what it sounded like back then, but also, too, I believe these conversations are still going on right now. And so today we're going to be looking uh, in Mark chapter 10 and just a little background of what's happening uh, in the book of Mark. All these stories come from the book of Mark. Mark is actually the, probably the well, I don't want to say the best, but the first biography we have of Jesus, this was recorded about 20 years after his death and resurrection. And so this is a very detailed biography of Jesus' life. And it, you could break it down into three sections. The first section is the authority of Jesus. When he speaks, the waves stop, the winds stop. When he speaks, he heals people. People who couldn't walk are now walking. People who couldn't see who were blind could now see. There's authority. But then in the second part of Mark, now this authority calls you to follow him and to trust him. And that's where we're going to be today. And the third part shows us where he's going, to the cross and defeating the cross. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be, uh, starting in verse 17. And You know, whenever I chat with people, especially when they find out that I'm a pastor, they will ask, you know, how do I hear from God? How do I talk from God? How do I talk to God? Like, I have no problem following, I think, but I just don't hear him. As we've been going through these conversations, we see that Jesus speaks. (laughs) But what we see is... I don't think we like some of the things he says. (laughs) And so, and let alone, it's very hard to follow those things, especially if it rubs us the wrong way, if it goes against our goals, what we've already premeditated to do with our life, and now Jesus says, no, actually your life is for this. That can rub us the wrong way, and today we are seeing that happen uh, with a guy that we call the rich young ruler. And so uh, we're going to be in Matt, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31, and I'm just going to read it, and you can read along with me in your hearts, in your mind, not out loud. That will trip me up. So here we go. Mark chapter 10. And Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Meaning, as far as I can remember, when I started making choices on my own, I've kept these. This has been my life. And Jesus looked at him. And I love this. He loved him. He didn't say, oh, have you done good enough? Oh, what do you know? What are you but No, he just looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. 
He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, then who? Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter, I love Peter. He, he speaks for us. This is good. Peter spoke up. Uh, we've left everything, just so you know, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you now. Thank you for this conversation. Would you please teach us? what this means. I pray that any of my words or thoughts or anything does not get in the way of what you are still trying to say to us today. Jesus, would you take over at this time? In Jesus' name, amen. How many are familiar with the story? We're done. Okay, no, good. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is what I want to do today with looking at the story. I just want to answer one question, and that question is this. Is Jesus enough? Can you say that with me? Is Jesus enough? That's the question. And here are two things in this conversation that are going to help us answer that question. We see two things happening. In the first half, verses 17 through 22, we see how you can be bankrupt with everything. Can you say that with me? How you can be bankrupt with everything. And then the second part, verses 23 to 31, how you can be rich with nothing but Jesus. One more time how you can be rich with nothing but Jesus. So those are the two things we're going to look at, bankrupt with everything, but rich with nothing but Jesus. So this story, um, it's actually recorded in three of the Gospels, and that's how it kind of gets its name. It's a conglomerate of all of these things. So Matthew, he looks, oh, excuse me, I need to look at my notes. Um, Matthew, he uses the adjective young. Luke uses the noun ruler, and Mark focuses on the riches that this man had. So hence, you get rich, young ruler, okay? Um, and so here's how it goes. Jesus is going, the man follows, and he falls on his knees. Now, we could see that, commentators see this as two things. They say, oh, this could either be he knew who he was and just out of worship got on his knees. Or out of respect for who he was, he got on his knees. And I think it's the latter because of what he says. He says, good teacher. Good teacher. Now, nothing wrong with that, I think. Actually, there is. We'll get to it. But um, he calls him good teacher. And why he's on his knees is because he's saying this. Good teacher. I'm good too. I've kept everything. I've done everything well. But there's one thing that I lack. And he, here's the question that I have for you. How do I get eternal life? Just tell me, how do I get eternal life? Because in his life, he has realized 
that his goodness, achievements, self-sufficiency cannot achieve anything eternal. More so his life. He can't do it on his own. So he asked Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Jesus could have replied, my son, you've came to the right place. Eternity is my business. I, I've got you. But no, what does he say? There's a bigger issue here. And he says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Because now he's starting to let the man realize and kind of wake up. There's a bigger issue here. There's a bigger issue. And then Jesus asks about the commandments in a way asking, hey, you've really tried, haven't you? (laughs) You've really tried to live a good life. And he goes through the commandments that we just read. And the man says, yeah, I know those commandments. I've kept them. I've done this ever since I can remember. And Jesus sees that this man's life is built on being good as he goes over the commandments. But you'll notice when Jesus goes over the commandments, he leaves out the first one. He leaves out the first commandment. Why? Well, because the man also left out the first commandment. Um, If you're new to the Bible, here's the first commandment. You can find the commandments in two places. Uh, You can find it in Exodus and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the first commandment is this. Do not have any other gods before me. That's God. That's his commandment. And when we see the word commandment, um, sometimes we'll see those as just a moral code or things that we're supposed to follow. But actually what these are, these are just God's words to his children. These are God's words to his people. And the first one's so important. Hey, a lot of gods out there. Don't have anyone before me, though, because they're not going to care for you like I do. They're not going to love you like I do. If you go in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you also see this. You see the commandments. And then after Deuteronomy chapter 5, you've guessed it, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see the purpose of this. And this is something called the Shema. This is um, a prayer, excuse me, that the people of God would pray. And I have it on the screen here, and it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments, words that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your households and on your gates. What... Excuse me, what Deuteronomy uh, 6 is showing is the purpose of these words. This is why you keep them, because it's not just for you. It's for every person that's in need of God, and that's everyone. And so uh, Martin Luther, the great church reformer, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, he said this. He's like, you know what? Ten Commandments, great, but if you break the first one, you've essentially broken all of them. You've just broken them all. Because if you don't keep God first, you're going to let anything be the God of your life. So why does it say don't lie? Because God doesn't lie. He's not the father of lies. That's someone else. He's the father of truth. So don't talk like someone else. Talk like your father. What about stealing? Don't steal. Why? Because don't you know? God will provide everything you need. Don't put anything in his place. And so if you've broken the first one, you've broken all of them. And so... When Jesus is asking these questions, have you kept the commandments? He's simply destroying the young man's outward facade. Just like explosives at the base of a building, 
Jesus is imploding this young man <laughs> to seeing, oh, there's a bigger problem than me just trying to get eternity on my own. I have missed even something greater. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the beginning and the end. And Jesus is telling him, I'm not just good. I'm God. I'm what you need. As we see in Revelation chapter 7, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation only belongs to God. And it's not about what you do that is good. It's about trusting in the only one who is good. He's not just a good subject, a good teacher, a good thought, a good idea. He is a good God that saves. Now, for some of you who might say, yeah, but that happened like a long time ago. And so, like, is that still relevant today? Well, if, yeah, it is. And so, <laughs> one, one of the best ways to show that, if you have children, you, you're going to understand this, okay? And so, Jonathan, illustration number one about my kids. <laughs> so, this past week, this past week, <coughs> we were at the mall. And Penny saw me, ran up to me, grabbed my hand and said, good father, come with me. I'm like, why do you call me good? Like, <laughs> something's up here. And we go into the store and she sees, she takes me to the accessory department and there's these glasses and she puts on the glasses and here's what she looked like. She said, daddy, don't I look good? Like, yeah, you look amazing. Daddy, wouldn't I look good every day if I had this? I'm like, yeah, you would look great. And she goes, Dad, I found the glasses. I know that I'll look good, but there's only one thing that I lack. I can't afford them. Can you help me? Afford Tell me how to get these glasses, Dad. Can you help me out with that? And I said, sure, I can. Just not today. <laughs> And here was her response, real time. <laughs> I'm such a mean father, but it works. <coughs> and I looked at Penny, and we talked. And as I was preparing for this, uh, for this message, I was like, Penny, you are putting me in a very, very difficult spot because you are forgetting who I am. I'm not just the one who buys you glasses. I'm the reason you're alive right now. <laughs> and then I said, go talk to your mother. So it worked, yeah. But just like, do, do I need to unpack that? Do, do we get it? Okay. A little too close to home a little bit. How often do we treat God as just a good teacher rather than a good father? That holds the key to everything. And so just as my seven-year-old left unhappy, we see that this young man walks away unhappy. He walks away unhappy. Now here's my question. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that he's walking away? Like you, you could explain it maybe better. You, you could stop and be like, no, no, no. But he just asked him to follow him, to get rid of the thing that's separating him from God, and it just wasn't enough for the man, and he walks away. And you see here, why didn't Jesus act more? Well, here's the thing. Jesus just doesn't want to see where your heart's at. He wants your heart. 
He wants your heart. He wanted this young man's heart because he knows, as it says in Psalm 16, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. If you're going to run after other gods, sorrows just come with that. It's just going to keep happening. Now, this conversation that Jesus had, it's not a test from God about the young man's stuff, but it's about trusting God instead of his stuff. He knows our heart and knows what we need. And he's asking, will we trust him to be enough and follow him? By definition, every question that you ask, it has an answer. By definition, every question has an answer. However, like the young man, we can look for good answers rather than a good relationship. We can keep asking questions. I don't like that one, so I'm going to ask the question again, or I'm going to ask it to a different source. But no, Jesus gave him an answer. Sell everything and come follow me. And I think that we can do this like the young man because we want relationships that we can control and answers that support our control. And this is the offense of the gospel. When Jesus says, follow me, he is saying, my answer is better than yours. My way is better than yours. But remember where it's coming from. It's not a place of judgment. It's a place of love. It's a place of love. Now, some of you may be familiar with the story, but what Jesus had here was a courageous conversation. He had a courageous conversation with this young man. He cared about the young man. He loved him. Again, this wasn't coming from a place of judgment to put him in his place. He cared for the young man. And I'm wondering, as Christ followers, will our love for people take us to the same place? Will we have these courageous conversations in our D groups? with our friends, with our family, with our children. And I'm not just talking about, you know, courageous friend conversations like, hey, girl, you got some spinach in your teeth. Yeah, I'm a good friend. I, I was courageous. I helped you out there. Um, oh, don't wear that. That doesn't look good. Oh, you know what, Ryan? You should cheer for a team that's in the playoffs. You know, like, <laughs> that. <laughs> Every service, buddy. I'm going to get you. A courageous conversation is one that comes from love and saying, you know what? Jesus is better in this. I've seen the pattern of your life, and I'm scared for you. I see what you're striving for, and you're not getting it. I've been with you. I need to call this out. I need to tell you that Jesus is enough in this situation, that he's better. Why isn't he enough? In the, and to have those, does that make sense? To have those conversations. And before we go on to the next point, um, this is just on my heart. As I was reading this, I was uh, trying to read from different perspectives, but I couldn't stop reading it as a father. And I thought, what would the rich young ruler's parents be like at this point? Whoa, there's my son. He's rich, he's young, he rules. Okay, this is good. <coughs> And he's in front of Jesus. He's kept all those commandments. That's great. Oh, man, we're so proud of our son. Wait, where's he going? Why are you walking away? Why are you walking away from Jesus? And I wonder, oh, man, this got me. Like, wow, what if I raise my girls to just be good, good people, make good decisions, but then at the end of the day, they walk away from Jesus? Oh, man. And, and I say this as an encouragement to parents, 
not as a judgment, but as an encouragement. There are those who have walked this, who have spoken words of Jesus to your kids. And I'm not talking about anxiety, like, uh, you're doing wrong. Go read your Bible until you do it right. That's not what I'm talking about. But do your kids see mom and dad pray? Do your kids see that, you know what, we're going to start with Jesus on this one? Do they see that you have time for conversations and the hard conversations? And I just wanted to encourage you with that. Um, Yeah, coming from a youth pastor and from our youth staff, we love doing life with your kids. Um, But they need mom and dad um, to to lead in this way. And so I just wanted to encourage you uh, with that today. Bankrupt with everything. So, Matt, what does rich with nothing but Jesus look like? Because you've kind of bummed me out. So what does rich with nothing but Jesus look like? How are the disciples doing at this point? How are they doing? Like Jesus says this, he looked around and said to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. I'm kind of seeing it like a movie scene, like Jesus is looking at the rich young ruler and then he comes around and is like, man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Looks at his disciples. Like, what just took place here? What just happened? Because during that time, they would have seen Jesus do amazing things. He had authority over creation, but now authority to speak this way to a rich guy? Because for them at that time, if you had riches, that was a sign of blessing from God. It's like, whoa, time out. Your riches aren't a blessing and they, they can't get you into heaven? Whoa, what's happening here? So Matt, what are you telling me? Are you saying that Jesus has a problem with money? I live in Vancouver. Uh, like, I need money. So, <laughs> sure, Matt, I'll try to make sure that Jesus is enough every day. You know, on my taxes, on my T4, all I put out there, Jesus is enough. That's all I did. <laughs> When I go into Starbucks, I walk in, I order my drink, and I'm like, hey, Jesus got this one. Have a great day. (laughs) You're going to get arrested. I remember I went to to Midas to get my brakes changed and some other stuff with the car, and I went up, and I asked the guy, how much is this going to cost? He's like, yeah, this is a bad one. It's going to be about $400. And I'm like, oh, man. And the first thing out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, can you give me a minute to pray about that? And, like, I realized... I'm in Midas. Why did that just come out of my mouth? And the guy looks at me and goes, yeah, but in a minute, you're still going to owe me $400. (laughs) (coughs) So does Jesus have a problem with money when he says, get rid of this, sell it, and come follow? Does he have a problem with money? Not at all. Jesus teaches on being a good steward of finances. He teaches good practices with your money, such as tithing and giving offerings, giving to widows and orphans, helping those in need, um, not being in anyone's debt financially. Like He cares about money. He tells us how to be good stewards of it. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, I believe it's back there. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay? Not money, but the love of it. Actually, 
Here's another good example. I love this. Um, we're going to go later on, like two other chapters, Mark chapter 12, if you could put those slides up. Here is a situation that Jesus is in, and I think this is fitting for tax season. It says this, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They want to trick him. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Next, please. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this on the coin? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They were amazed. So my question would be, if we're supposed to, we live in this world, this fallen world, we live by certain rules, and we give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. What inscription is on you? When it comes to your stuff, when it comes to the things you have, is it a blessing from God or is it something that you've achieved and has potentially separated you from trusting God fully. What inscription is on you? Is it good stuff, efforts, intention, or is it the only one who is good? This entire section of Mark's passage emphasizes that riches simply make being a disciple or a follower of Jesus difficult. It's hard to see the full value because of the world that we live in. But the rewards of discipleship are worth more than material possessions. Jesus did not teach that wealth is evil. He did not teach that poverty is better than riches. He did not teach that only the poor can be saved. But he did teach that discipleship following him is costly and that wealth often is a hindrance to the repentance and acceptance of the good news, the gospel. The young ruler was trusting in stuff and being good, but his dependency on his performance and riches was keeping him from eternity with God. And this is a problem because outside fixes can't solve an inner issue. Outside fixes cannot solve an inner issue. But just in case we are still worried that riches won't get us into heaven. Matt, I have money. I'm still a little worried. Like, do I get into heaven? Jesus makes it plainer here. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is. Oh, talk about riches again. No, no, no. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, wait, okay, so if it's not just riches, then who? Who then can be saved? Because now we're all part of the conversation. So you could have been like, well, it's great. I'm a college student. I'm getting into heaven. I'm good. <laughs> But now we're all part of this conversation. What about me? I'm a third generational pastor. Like, my whole life has been this. So if I get to heaven, I'm like, hey, yeah, Matt Johnson served in youth for lots of years. Oh, never heard of me? Uh, Mark Johnson? <laughs> Missionary of the Philippines? Planned lots of church? Tom Johnson? No? Magic Johnson? Like, <laughs> nothing? <laughs> oh, man. That buildup was all for that. It paid off well. That was good. 
But what does it look like for Jesus to be enough? Here we see in verses 28 to 31, the reward of following Jesus. Peter, he speaks up for us. I love this. We left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children. These are relationships that people are saying they're good, but they're not as good as you. They're not as good as you, God. And anyone who does this, um, excuse me, uh, will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, among with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus, in this passage, turns from warning to promise. From warning to promise. From bankrupt to everything, being rich with nothing but Jesus. Jesus says that the joy of obedience trumps the joy of our stuff and comfort that he alone secures our future. This is a quote I read earlier this week. Jesus does not call us to mystic nothingness, to an uncompensated poverty, or even to a virtue for its own sake. He calls us to transfer investments and to expect dividends. Invest in Jesus. You're going to get so much more back. (coughs) Going back to my silly Midas story, the reason why I was asking to pray is because when I got to, uh, when I got to the, the Midas place, what is it called? Whatever. When I got there, um, <coughs> excuse me, I had asked Kat, I said, you know, we, we need money for this. And we had $400. But she said, you know, there's an orphanage that we're supporting in the Philippines. And I would really like to give 200 to that. Like, I just feel we need to. God woke me up and said, you got to give to this. And Matt, I got to do it. Like, that's, you got to do it. Do I have to do it? Like, I, I need this for the car right now. And I said, you know what? Yeah. When I went to pray, that's what I was praying about. I'm like, God, please don't, like, let me crash and die because I didn't get the brakes. But it's $400. We only have $200. we are going to trust you. If we need to ride bikes, if we need to do whatever, we'll do it. And so I went to the guy and I said, yeah, I prayed, um, can't do it, sorry. And he's like, so weird. Okay, so I get out, I get in my car, I kid you not, before I start the car, my phone rings, and it was my friend, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) who owns uh, a parts business. And he said, hey, Matt, do you still drive a Jetta? And I said, yeah, I do. He goes, does that Jetta need brakes by any chance? And I said, yes, it does. Four of them. (laughs) And he's like, well, I don't know if you'd be interested, but I have a shop and I just rented out the space to, uh, to a German man who specializes on German vehicles. And he's got some extra parts and some of those are brakes and he's wondering if I had any friends and stuff. I'm like, yeah, what do I need? And he's like, well, if you got 200 bucks, you're good to go. And I was shaking. And since then, oh, God is good. And since then, we, we gave that car away. We've given other cars away. People have given cars to us. Speaking specifically on cars, just provide, God providing for our, <laughs> nothing else. We don't eat. We just have cars. Um, 
But God has been so good in that way. I mean, up two weeks ago, we were in need of a car, and I had three people come up to me with cars. Okay, grace is good, but when you have to pick and choose grace, that's awkward. And God is good, but, but like now, really? Like, really? But here's the thing. Following Jesus will cost more than car breaks, okay? I know it's a silly story, but it's going to cost more than car breaks. And the call to discipleship involves a cost of discipleship. Fishermen must leave their nets, tax collectors their tables. Peter's false conception, our sometimes false conception of the Messiah, who Jesus is as authority. Everything falls away when we hear Jesus summon us to follow him. Mark's account of this story, actually, there's, it's recorded three times, but this is the only one that mentions the word persecution. That persecution will come, and it will happen. And I know that there are examples in this room, people in your lives, maybe yourself, who have been persecuted for the sake of Christ, who have given everything and received persecution in return. Maybe family members don't speak to you now because of who you follow. Uh, maybe you live in a dangerous place, or we know people who live in a dangerous place. They want to live for Jesus, but if they live it in public, they're going to get in a lot of trouble. But I still believe that Jesus is better, and he is enough when he calls us to follow him. Uh, I wanted to end... Um, Excuse me, I wanted to end with this illustration. And forgive me if I tear up. Um, this is about my mom. Um, oh, it's going to start. Here we go. Um, but my mom, uh, amazing woman. Uh, she passed away three years ago. Um, and she, she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis about, yeah, for about 30 plus years of her life. And if you've known anyone who has lived in pain, like chronic pain every day, pray for them. It, it's unbelievable what they go through. I mean, I, I question Jesus' existence with a toothache, and they're, I'm just kidding, but like, I'm like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Um, but with my mom, um, she was raised in the Philippines as a missionary kid, uh, experienced extreme uh, verbal abuse from her father, um, always didn't get the best hand dealt to her, uh, married a Texan. There you go. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, sorry, Dad, if you're listening. Um, <coughs> and then went to the Philippines, gave everything. Like, yeah, she had goals and dreams, and, um, but she, she loved being where God wanted her. She loved having her kids um, be raised on the mission field, especially her son. She loved him. And uh, just... <laughs> And I remember my mom telling me sometimes, whenever they would come back from the Philippines and talk with other churches, women of the church would come and say, oh, Michelle, you sacrifice so much. You give so much. Oh, wow, how do you even live? How are you even happy? And it would bum her out. She's like, no, I'm where God is. That's, that's why I'm happy. Like, yeah, I may not have the house that you have, but I'm glad God gave it to you. And I'm glad what God gave to me. And I'm glad that we get to do this together in just such a, such a great uh, look and life, but also because she was looking at her Savior. And she, for 30 plus years, um, couldn't leave the house some days in chronic pain, 
it affected her ministry, it affected her health. Um, and then three years ago, um, it affected big time. And so we went down to the States to go visit her because the doctors called me and said, you have two days. So we went there and I saw my mom and it was hard because it wasn't, it was my mom, but like, you know, she had tubes and, um, you know, the ventilator was breathing for her. And um, I just looked at her and I'm like, you've given everything. You've given everything. You've given your finances. Like we didn't trust her with money because she would give it away. (laughs) (laughs) You've given everything. And this, this is how? This is how you go with still pain? We prayed for this to be taken away if it was God's will and it wasn't. And man, this is hard. This is hard. And this pastor was doubting. Where's my mom going to go? Is this real? Is it really worth following Jesus right now? Is it? And my mom, she couldn't talk because she had the ventilator. And she gave me a thumbs up and was doing this. And I'm like, no, this is bad. (laughs) And she looked at me again. She goes, no. And what she was telling me was like, do you know where I'm going? Like, finally, this body's going to be dancing. Finally. Like, this is... This is the reward that I have. And I've gotten so much, so much here. And now I'm about to have so much more. And her request, she wrote down on a pad of paper, was that uh, my family would gather around her um, and sing one of her favorite songs by an artist named Fernando Ortega. And the song is, Give Me Jesus. And it's very simple words. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Even when I die, even when I die, even when I die, give me Jesus. This world has nothing for me. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And we sang that. And the nurses came in. And they're singing. Like, it was awesome. And this is exactly, yeah, that was a reward. That was a reward to see that. I'm going to end right now. And I'll invite the worship team at this time. But I was trying to find out how, how to end this. How to end this. Because Jesus calls us to follow him. And he asks us, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't have any other God, whether that's riches, whether that's pride, whether that's hurt, whether that's your goals, your potential, whatever that is. Trust me. And the reward is worth it. And Dallas Willard, one of my spiritual heroes, he wrote the cost of non-discipleship. We hear about the cost of discipleship, but he wrote the cost of non-discipleship, and he says this, non-discipleship cost abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it cost exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is is after all an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and loneliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective to see following Christ, not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. And I believe Jesus is continuing this conversation with us and inviting us to life to the fullest. Not life to the fullest with our stuff, 
even with our relationships, but life to the fullest with relationship with him. And as we conclude this service, I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand the mic to Jonathan. We're going to go into a time that we call ministry time. And we're going to have a communion here, which represents the one who's asking us to give all. He did it first. He gave all. And I would invite you, maybe with your D group or someone in your life to come and take communion together. What are we going to give up for Jesus? What, what's been in the way? What's the one thing we like? What's the many thing we like? That's okay. We got time. Like, what are those things? We just need to give it to Jesus right now. We're going to have people here to pray as well. You can go by yourself. You can go with your D group. You can go with people. But how do we prepare? How do we prepare to give all for Jesus, but to receive all from him as well? How do we do that? So I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, during this time, I pray that you would move. These are your words, and this is your time, and we say thank you. Thank you for how you spoke this so many years ago and how relevant it is today. We're looking for answers. We're looking for the things that will bring us joy and happiness and a complete life, but then we realize we're always going to fall short, and especially when it comes to things of eternal. We haven't figured that one out yet. But God, you figured it out for us and you made a way. And so I pray that you would bless this time. If there is something that is in our life that just doesn't bring you glory, it doesn't bring us close to you, would you help us trust you at this time to drop it and to come to you? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.